You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Okay, so happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's, um... <laughs> Actually, nice to see all of you. Um, you know, Mother's Day tends to be, I think, is it lower attendance average at churches on Mother's Day or is it high? Well, it depends on where you are, I guess, right? Well, big church, like my mom's church, celebrated Mother's Day yesterday, even though it wasn't the difference between us. And that church was just packed. Today? Yeah. Last night. Oh, yeah. oh, nice, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, I know some of your mothers, and um, some of you have shared a lot of, you know, um, amazing things about your mother, um, and what they, you know, how your mothers are like, and what they have done. And it is an amazing story. And hope you guys are. Everyone had a good Mother's Day and had everything well planned out. And even if they're not near you, you know, I called and had a good time. I had our. We had our Mother's Day thing with Hannah, so she, she's grown old enough that she actually wanted to prepare something, so she wanted to prepare breakfast, so she woke up early because she's excited, and she's wanting me, you know, I'm helping her, of course, so we prepare a little breakfast, but the whole time she's asking, do you know how to make toast, Daddy? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do, so I'm making it, and you know, oh, let's have eggs, and do you know how to make eggs, Daddy? Goes, yeah. <laughs> you know how to make scrambled eggs? He goes, yeah, I do. And she goes, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's never seen me in the kitchen, so she's like, are you sure you know how to do any of this stuff? So one thing, one thing that she doesn't question is, you know, me making coffee. I know how to make coffee. So, um... You know what, that's, that's the thing, I hope everyone, you know, this is a great day to appreciate what mothers have done, and if there's anyone in the world, it's so visible for us to understand what, it, what is uh, selfless love, to life completely given away, and they're our mothers, right? They're such a great example of the life that is meant for all of us to live, and they're, they're, they're the models, and so, um, hopefully you are all going through this day just giving thanks to, thanks to your moms. Okay, um... Today, we, the text we have today is, remember last week we talked about, we have learned about a, a story of a blind man, a blind beggar on the side of the road, being saved by Jesus, and he has become well, he's poor, and he's begging because he's blind, but Jesus sees him, right, he comes to Jesus, Jesus asks, what do you want, what do you, what do you want from me, and uh, Jesus saves him, not just from his blindness, but as a whole person. So, today we have a, another great story that we, some of us know. It's a story of Zacchaeus. This is uh, Zacchaeus. Who, how many of you have heard of the story of Zacchaeus? Right? A lot of people. Most people have heard of the story of Zacchaeus. This is uh, one of the great Sunday school favorite. You know, everyone loves Zacchaeus' you know, story. Because it's so fun to act it out and sing. And Josh, Josh sometimes sings this story of, uh, song of Zacchaeus. Um, you know, it's a really vivid image we see in the Bible, and it's easy to act it out. Someone little, short guy, climbing the tree, and Jesus sees him. It's just really a fun, cute story. It's, you know, it's a story that children can relate a lot, because they're short. They're usually, you know, 
this much to adults and they can't see what's going on, so they relate to it a lot. Um, some short grown-ups can relate to a lot. Like I was able, to, I'm able to relate to this story when I was living in Kansas City. Um, those corn-fed boys are tall, <laughs> not like uh, not like those in California. They're tall, so usually I can see move around my head across the you know hall, but it's hard. They're like right up here, right? Um, another way some of the adults can relate to this story is how kind of embarrassing how reluctant someone is in seeing Jesus and meeting Jesus and Zacchaeus is a great story that allows you know, someone like that to relate so it's a great story so we'll go ahead and read it it's short 10 verses and this is uh, Luke chapter 19 verse 1 through 10 I'll read one verse and you read the next Luke chapter 19 verse 1 he entered Jericho and was passing through it he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay, I must stay at your house today. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of the one who is a sinner. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you have shown through a story like this and who you are and who we are and how we are to respond to you. I pray that you give our mind to understand the book, the story, that you will open our hearts to receive it and know that, that you have exchanged uh, our sins for, for, with grace that we owe you and you can have uh, you can lead our lives to have changed lives in Jesus name Amen okay, well um, the story of Zacchaeus is the only found in book of uh, gospel according to Luke so we actually really get to thank Luke for having this really fun story uh, cute story but there's a whole lot more to it and we've been going through Luke and one of the there's three themes that we can kind of find especially in past ten chapters or so there's a three themes that's running with Luke, and one is he deals a lot with the rich people. And this is one of the stories. We had a couple of Sundays ago, he dealt with rich people, rich young ruler. So he deals with in, in Jesus' parables and stuff. So dealing with a lot with rich people. And number two, there's theme of identification of Jesus with sinners, how Jesus identifies himself being with sinners, rich out to sinners. And we've seen that story after stories whether it's with blinds, lame, tax collectors, and, you know, uh, uh, leopards, and we've seen over and over. So, in a way, this story also pairs with a story last week, the story that when Jesus saved the blind beggar. So, the third one is about uh, faith which recognizes Jesus as Lord and discovers new life as a result. And we've seen that over and over. People who come, especially the sick people, recognize Jesus, calls out to Jesus, claims him to be Lord and Messiah, and as a result, they become saved. 
and that they, you know, discovered to have a new life. So that's kind of the, what we have seen throughout. And today's story is actually the last story in such, which kind of closes out that whole bracket. So there's next week, uh, a few more verses, and following it is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. So it's going to be a whole different theme and topic. But that's what Luke has been focusing, and that's what we've, what we've been learning. And what that really has said is, it answers the question of why Jesus came, and what his ministry is all about. So today is actually kind of sums up really well what Jesus was, his ministry was all about, and why Jesus came. So let's go ahead and look at it. We want to find out what did Jesus do today in this story. And verse 1, it says he, was, he entered Jericho and was passing through it. So passing through, that's actually pretty important to understand. That means he wasn't going to stay. I don't know if there's any time that Jesus didn't stay. I mean, his ministry was three years. He went up and down that road a whole lot. I think Jesus pretty much stayed in every town. Even went out of the way to stay in different towns. But here, says he entered through Jericho, which is town right before Jerusalem, on his way to Passover. So Jesus has this resolute you know, mindset of, I'm going to Jerusalem. That's it. And we started from chapter 9, right? So Jericho, he wasn't going to stay. So he's moving through the town on the way to Jer- uh, Jerusalem. So Jericho is a big town. It's really wealthy town. So to understand, I think we can compare this to like New York. If you're on the way to, you know, let's say Jerusalem is like Washington, D.C. A lot of political stuff, right? You're passing through, it's New York. I mean, everything good and sweet and nice, wealth, fortune, good food, good you know, lodging, and everything is that rich people are in Jericho. Jericho was named one of the richest towns in all of Palestine. So this is a rich, rich town, right? So... Jesus is just passing through it and refusing the hospitality. So how would people feel in the community? You get, you can understand. People in the community seeing Jesus, know Jesus is coming. They probably have big feast prepared, banquet prepared. They have maybe decoration on the road, and people are welcoming. They're lined up. They have maybe kids show happening. They put out the whole welcoming committee for Jesus, right? And Jesus walks into town. He said, "No, I'm just passing through." So you can understand, town people are disappointed. They're hugely disappointed. Because they anticipated so much more. So, this disappointment in town people, and how they must be upset and sad, we have to kind of understand the following story in that context. So, here's what's going on. So, while this is all going on, you know, people are disappointed and sad, and they're kind of following along Jesus. Jesus is moving quickly. Here's what happened. In verse 2, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So three things we can know about him. He was tax collector. That's bad. He was chief tax collector. That's even worse. Not only that, he was rich. So he's got the whole three worst thing that could that someone could possibly have. So he's rich. He's powerful. But unlike the young rich ruler we knew in previous stories, he's not respected. He's more or, you know, he's hated. He's a hated person. He's a traitor to the country. He's using people, taking people's money away, extorting people. So, you know, he's like a drug dealer or, or pimp. He's the worst kind in the society. That's what kind of we can picture. He's the worst kind in the society. You know, taking homes away from people, their savings account or land and crops. And that's because that's what he does. He's 
feared. And what he's doing is protected because it's legal. He's in, the, he's in the system. So he's really rich. He's the richest in the town. So he must be really rich, right? So think of like a cartel house. <laughs> this is pre- pretty much who Zacchaeus is. He's like a cartel. He is in the town, lives in the biggest house, has m- most you know, number of servants. He's feared, he's powerful, and he's hated. Because everyone knows he's a criminal type, right? And uh, so he's the most hated. Also, he's considered most sinful. He's most unclean. And what's funny about Zacchaeus is the name Zacchaeus means right, the righteous one. That's the funny. It's like, you know, Lady Gaga's name actually means like the pure one, right? It, it's just opposite of who he is. And that's what's kind of sad about it. And he's really just the type that everybody hates. So, verse 3 says, He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So, when they say he's short, um, they don't mean like short, like they mean like five feet and under. So, I don't know who we can compare. Um, Danny DeVito comes to my mind when I'm thinking <laughs> that. Who else? That's kind of old. Some of you don't recognize. Do you know who Danny DeVito is? The Penguin. Okay, the Penguin, right? The Penguin in Batman movies. Danny DeVito, right? He's kind of short, stocky, ugly, maybe chubby. That's what he looks like. Um, And he wants to see Jesus. So maybe he's heard of Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Just like the story of a blind man. He wanted to see Jesus. He's heard of Jesus. And when he heard Jesus was coming in town, he wanted to see Jesus, right? Um, But we have to ask why. Why did he want to see Jesus? What has he? What do you think he heard of about Jesus? Maybe he heard of that Jesus hangs out with tax collectors. Maybe he heard that he goes to a tax collector's house and one of his followers is a former tax collector. So it must have been intriguing to him. Like, I got to see this Jesus who they say is a Messiah, but he hangs out with my kind, right? And, you know, in chapter 7, he said, Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But he has a problem. The problem is, the crowd hates him. So they're in the way of him seeing Jesus, just like the crowd was in the way for blind beggar to see Jesus. And his another problem is that he's short. That's, he's got problems. So, but how bad, badly did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? So Zacchaeus does two things that's highly unusual, and which says in verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see him. The two things he's done. One, he ran. And we talked about, when we talked about the story of prodigal son, Middle Eastern adult grown-up person, especially the respected one, do not run. They just don't run. And we talked about how their clothing keeps them from running, so they have to pick it up, and there's no... Nothing to cover them, how it's shameful act it is. And we talked about that, right? They just don't run. It's not something you do. I mean, I think in our society, in America, we don't run either when you're growing up. Do you ever see anybody running in downtown in a suit? You wonder, what is going on? <laughs> right? Because this isn't what you do. There's only three occasions you run. You run when you're working out or running to fit, right? Or someone's chasing you, dog is chasing you, then you run. That's okay, right? Or you store something, you're running away from cop. Otherwise... This running isn't what we do even in our society, right? You don't run in the downtown. So I feel like, oh, I mean, I'm going to be running, I'm going to be late for the bus or whatever, but 
I can't run. People are going to look at me weird. Right? We just don't run either. So it was worse in this time, in Middle Eastern, that grown-ups don't run. But he ran. So second, he climbed the tree. Now, when you hear this story as a kid, you think it's really cool. Oh man, that, he's a cool guy. He climbed the tree, right? But powerful rich men do not climb trees. Kids do, right? Children climb trees. An example to understand is there's a guy named um, John Badu. He was American ambassador in Cairo under when JFK was president. And there's a story in his um, memo that he his house his house had a there was a light probably with a light fixture and so it was by the tree was there so he climbed up the tree to fix the light fixture in his house in his garden right. The word went to president of of Egypt. President came to see him, what is going on that you have to climb a tree. So you understand, this is not something you do, even in your own private house. It's a big deal, and this is this is what he's doing. So you can kind of picture him, this short, stocky man, climb this, climbing this tree, um, you know, all uncomfortable in his in his clothes, and um, and you know, trying to stay up once he's climbed up and stay up this sycamore tree. And the sycamore tree is also one thing that we want to learn, know a little more about. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert to trees. Josh, maybe, but I'm not. But from what I read, sycamore tree is a large tree. And it spreads really wide. The branches sit low, almost like five, four feet high. And it's really wide. And leaves are really big. The big, wide, somewhat ugly trees. Right? And if you want to imagine that, just look my backyard. You can see one. <laughs> That's an ugly tree, right? So, sycamore tree... Because it's like that, well, it's one thing, it's easy to climb because it branches it so low. But in, the, in Jewish law, large tree is considered like a tent. So if you are under the tree with another person who is unclean, guess what? You're considered as being in the same house with an unclean person. That means you become defiled. So people don't like to be under the big tree because you don't know who this person is that's under the tree with you. Secondly... They like to keep town clean. In Babylonian historical accounts, they say, well, keep these trees out of town because they take up too much space and the branches aren't supposed to reach over to your neighbor's you know, fence and you have to cut it. Um, in the main street, these are just two big ugly trees. I mean, my trees are ugly and we chop down one, right? You can, so they don't like it. So for these reasons, what is certain is that sycamore tree sits outside the town. It's not inside the Jericho town, it's outside of town. So, what we know is, it needs to be, trees need to be, uh, stand outside, 75 feet at least, outside of town. So, what we can learn from this is, Zacchaeus chose to climb a tree that's growing outside Jericho. Because, you can understand, he doesn't want to be seen by the crowd. He wants, he's thinking, well, I'm going to climb this tree outside of town, and by the time Jesus reaches there, he's almost out of town, and there's not going to be as much of crowds and they're not going to see me. So that's what's going on. So here's so what's happening. Jesus is leaving town. He's almost left the town boundary. But people aren't all leaving him, saying goodbye at the town boundary. They're still kind of trickling and still kind of following him along. So Jesus comes to the tree. And verse 5 says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And I don't think he looked up and said, hey, Zacchaeus. I think he looked up and probably had kind of long stare. 
probably thinking, what is this guy doing up there? But he's probably looking him eye to eye, right? And he knows this is tax collector. He knows his name because guess who else is looking at Zacchaeus? The whole crowd. And they're probably, probably grumbling, oh, that's Zacchaeus, that's the chief tax collector, oh, that's the terrible sinner. And it's Jesus looking, and he knows tax collectors. So he's come across so many of them. He knows what they go through, he knows the, how their lives are. So he looks at them. Crowd, on the other hand, also looks at him, and they are probably being loud at him. And you can see, Zacchaeus is a powerful man. You can't go up to him and say, I hate you, you're a sinner, and you can't curse at him, because what could he do next day? He could add on to some more tax and take away your land and take away your house, and he can do that. Right? He's a powerful man. But, he's up there in the tree, and there's a whole lot of crowd. And you can actually be anonymous and just shout out everything you want to shout out to him. Right? So you can imagine there's Stuff, four-letter words and effort and bombs being thrown out everywhere, right? They are cursing at him. They're throwing everything. Maybe he's a good target. They're throwing stuff at him maybe too. There's a huge hostility to Zacchaeus. This is the chance. What is he doing? So, what would Jesus do? We know that Jesus does intervene. What is expected for Jesus to do? In a previous story, Jesus saved one who is oppressed, the beggar, right, the blind. And throughout the stories that we meet of Jesus, Jesus saves oppressed people. Jesus is with oppressed people. In this situation, Jesus is standing with oppressed people. The town people are the one who's oppressed. Who's the oppressor? Zacchaeus. So what is expected for Jesus to do? Jesus is expected to judge the oppressor and stand on the side with the oppressed. But here's what Jesus does, right? says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's what's amazing. He changed his mind. This oppressor, this sinner, is so important that Jesus changes his plan. He said, I'm going to stay at your house. Let's turn around, go back. And you can imagine how, what kind of shock this is to town people. Right? This is unthinkable. Number one, one thing, you don't invite yourself to somebody's house. You don't do that in our society. You don't do it back then either. Especially when you are you know, guest at some town. What town people like to do, they like to arrange where you stay, your accommodation. So it honors the town the best. When I, when I visited India, and for... Four days or so, I did you know short-term mission preaching tour, and we went uh, every town, and so I preached, you know, every lunch, every dinner. So dinner, lunch, morning, dinner, lunch, dinner. I went, and we went town to town, and every time we go, the people who invite us with a meal is the richest person in town, most respected, most honored. They kept giving me curry and chicken and banana, <laughs> banana, same food, but that's the best food they offer to people, and it's done that way. They arrange your accommodation. They invite you to the, the person in the town who can accommodate you with the most honor. And that's how it's done. Now, Jesus invites himself. And that's not only that. What is, are people thinking when this is all happening? Right? Jesus comes into town, denies the accommodation, hospitality, 
meets this Zacchaeus, calls him by name, and invites, decides to go to dinner to his house, stays over, which means he's extending friendship to Zacchaeus. He's going to be friends with the chief tax collector. So in verse 7, all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to the guest of the one who is a sinner. Jesus, who is to be a Messiah, who is on his way to the Passover in Jerusalem, when he walks out of Zacchaeus' house next morning, he's going to be defiled, needed to be go through the uh, just a cleansing ceremony. And people grumble, as always, when they see Jesus hanging out. And what's most significant about this is that crowd was angry at who? Zacchaeus. Now they're angry at Jesus. What Jesus has done is he shifts the crowd's hostility against Zacchaeus to himself. And you know, that's, that's what saviors do, right? That's what a savior does. And you know, the easiest example that we can see is it's all in the you know, movies and books and stories that we hear of a savior. We kind of like a super way, super savior, but we see it in the movies. Like simplest one, the Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. You see where the, one of the kids is getting beat up and the whole crowd is there cheering and laughing and um, Peter Parker character goes in, hey, stop, stop. And the guy who was beating on this kid turns against who? Peter Parker. And everybody is now against Peter Parker. The kid is lost. He's saved by Peter Parker. And Peter Parker gets beat up. He takes unto him the stability and anger. And that's kind of how the Savior story is. Um, they take the attention, the negative attention, the hostility from the person and takes it unto themselves. And that's the exchange that Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus. And it foreshadows the great exchange that he's about to do in a couple of weeks, in soon in a few days. Jesus takes away the wrath of God away from us unto himself. So that's really the beauty of the story. So how did Zacchaeus respond? In verse 6, it says, So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give it to the poor, and if I have defrauded, Anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. <laughs> he stands and declares. So he's making it official. He's letting it, making it public. And he's sort of doing this, I'm going to pay everyone back, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor. He's doing, he's kind of exaggerating. And that's kind of custom in Middle Eastern. What he's doing is, he's making it sound so that I am really going to do this. I am sincere as much as I can be. And, you know, in reality, he cannot fulfill this pledge that he's doing. Once he's given 50%, he's only going to have not enough to give that much to the people he defrauded. He's going to go basically broke. So, here's what I see in this story. When you look at how um, Zacchaeus responded, obviously we see that he's changed. There's a repentance in him. But his repentance isn't just, oh, this is great, Jesus loves me, I'm Jesus' friend. I like this. I'm happy. That's not it. It's not just a heart thing. Repentance bears fruit. It brings something else out in your life, in something that's tangible, right? So it's not just a change of heart, but it involves restitution. Restitution is making amends, paying back. So when we say restitution, we don't mean sort of like a penance or 
you know, we owe, so we pay back type of thing, but it's an act that is done because of grace. And we know this from many stories we've heard. Repentance is done because of kindness, right? Your kindness leads us to repentance. We received love, costly love from Jesus, so we act and it leads us to restitution. Because in the end, I mean, what's the alternative? If you're not paying back, then have you really changed? So that's something we want to ask ourselves. Has Jesus changed you? And have you, or are you living with your amends, with changed lives, doing things differently? So some of the questions we can ask is, whom have you taken from, like Zacchaeus, that you need to give back? And this can be something material, money type, or, but this can also be honor and respect. Today is Mother's Day. Have you taken respect and honor away from your mother, your parents? Do you need to give it back? It's not just one day thing, but it's a lifetime thing. Now, if you are changed because of Jesus' costly love, you give back, you pay back. Another question is, how have you neglected your duty? Are you lazy? Right? Or are you ir- irresponsible? These are things you change once you become followers of Jesus. What joys have you taken away? Have you missed in celebrating with others? Like, I'm always afraid that I might turn out to be a bad father if I become too busy missing soccer games. And that's why I'm kind of making myself be the coach so there's no way I can miss these things. And, um, you know, fathers get busy, miss stuff. Um, and, you know, your lives get busy, you miss celebrating with others. And, you know, my... Um, my parents won at my graduation when I graduated NTS, and Esther knows that I said, "Oh, I don't care." And uh, but it's I remember that um, my brother, oldest brother, wasn't at my wedding. He wasn't at my brother's wedding either. Other brothers' wedding either. So these things, not being there to celebrate others, hurts people, right? So what have you missed out in celebrating others that you need to make up? And lastly, if you've been greedy. What does it take? What does it look like for you to be generous? It's the most visible way to show that you have completely turned around, that you're living a different life, that Jesus, who's given you, given us costly love, is changing us to live in our lives, giving away costly, living costly love, right? Uh, one thing that I recognize in ours, and I think those of you who's going to Philippines, We've been really encouraged by the way that people give. Um, for me, especially knowing some of the people that came up through the church and young life and who's changed and those seeing them giving, even though it's a little bit, it's it's amazing. I can see that these they have they have changed. So you know Zacchaeus, he's gonna go poor. He's gonna have nothing. But he doesn't care because he's found something more valuable. Right, he's found something more valuable. He's got, he has changed life. Verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to his house, this house because he too is son of Abraham. If salvation has come, someone brought it. Someone brought salvation and he brought it at a cost, even to Zacchaeus, in a very visible way to him. He exchanged the hostility from him with grace. Because there is no cheap grace There's only costly grace. 
And we hear that. We're going to go into that as Jesus gets close to Jerusalem and we read through his passion. In Isaiah 53, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. It's costly love that changes lives. It changes our lives. Jesus changes people. Allow us to live life of repentance and restitution. And we're paying back. We're doing these things. Not because God will love us. Because He already does. Not because God will forgive us. Because He's already forgiven us. Not because it will please God. Because He's already pleased. He calls us by name and He's invited us into friendship. So you can see that just like the blind, Zacchaeus, his life, not only is he saved, but his life is made whole. He's made well. The same word has been saved. And this is a rich man. Do you remember what Jesus said about rich men when he met young rich ruler? He said, how hard is it for rich men to be saved? It's easier for camel to go through the eye of the needle. But what did he say afterwards? That who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with people is possible with God. And this kind of sums up, this kind of does the flip side of it and say, look, it's possible the rich man gets saved. And you can imagine what Zacchaeus' life might have been like. We, we heard about Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, his life turned out, he became the famous follower of Jesus, that everyone recognized who he was. In the church history. What about Zacchaeus? He didn't follow Jesus. He must have stayed in the town and lived. The amends that he made, he made it true. He probably did it and he lived in the town showing people how, what a changed person is. And uh, his name doesn't come up in the Bible like Barnabas. But what I find is he actually did live changed life. Um, he received costly love. So he showed costly love to others. And in the church history, the Clement, um, the guy named Clement, he was a bishop of Alexandria, and in his sermon, which is recorded, it says that Zacchaeus actually went on to become a bishop of Caesarea, and he was probably personally anointed by Peter. That's changed life, and it's all the same. Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, when we receive the costly love of Jesus. Who do we become? We simply become followers of Jesus. And it's life that we cannot deny. That it's love that we can't deny. Jesus' costly love can change people. And sometimes in a way that we don't know. In the rate that we don't know. At a time we don't know. So we can't really say, Oh, look at that person. He's never going to change. He's never going to be saved. What is impossible for us is possible with God. Zacchaeus received unexpectedly costly love. He received grace. Jesus says in verse 10, But the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Not only does He save the oppressed, He reaches out to oppressor too. He reaches out to all of us. And I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, I'm an oppressor who do not deserve to be saved, but Jesus reached out to me and to you and I. And that was his mission. His death and resurrection, but in overall, his mission was to save us. To allow us, bring us in, through his costly love, 
to make us his friends, his brothers and sisters, and bring us into relationship with God. And that's what we celebrate when we come to the, the table, is to remember what Jesus has done, the costly love, the great exchange that he has done for us. Let me pray. We'll share the bread and the cup. Jesus, we can only imagine how Zacchaeus must have uh, responded. He probably was out of words. And I hope that we also know the costly love that you have given us. That we are out of words when we really understand what you have done for us. Help us to celebrate that and give you thanks and live a life of your true followers. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.